0: Hi, Sharp OSHart here. Like me, you obviously listen to podcasts. You're learning, and that's a good thing. But are you also earning Ashes CEUs as you listen? Newsflash, SpeechTherapyPD.com is offering a new discounted annual podcast subscription, and you need to take advantage of it. SpeechTherapyPD.com is the leader in speech language pathology podcasts. They produce over 16 new podcasts with great topics including ethics every month. Listen to Speech Uncensored, First Bite SLP Now, as well as the Speech Link. Here's what you do. Go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, access the podcast subscription, and at checkout, enter my special discount code to get a full $20 off. Instead of $79 per year, you pay just 59 and listen to as many as you want. Here's the code. Are you ready? Speech20. Speech20. That's it. Choose from over 175 hours of on-demand pod courses and get practical information and your CEUs. It's absolutely a no-brainer. Welcome to the SpeechLink. I'm your host, Char Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. If you are a speech-language pathologist in the schools, or maybe you have a private practice, perhaps the interesting option of doing teletherapy has been in the back of your mind. And even if it hasn't, today's informative one hour may just convince you to try it, or at the very least, investigate telepractice. Since talking with Kristen Martinez, I've actually started thinking about doing it. (laughs) Oh yeah, grab your pencil and paper. This lady lays it out and shares the practical details we need to know. Here we go. Today, my guest is Kristen Martinez. She earned her master's degree in speech language and hearing sciences from the University of Colorado at Boulder. She spent her first 13 years of her speech language pathology career in a school district in Fort Collins, Colorado, as well as her own private practice called Strong Foundations Speech Language Services. Then she advanced into telepractice. Kristen's first experience began six years ago with presence learning. She's been with them every and has managed school based teletherapy services and has presented on the topic of teletherapy nationwide. Currently, she is the clinical director for SLP and OT for presence learning. Welcome to the Speech Link, Kristen. Thank you, Shar. So nice to be here. I appreciate it. Great. Well, I'm glad you're here. And I'd just like to say, just so that we all know, we are just focusing on telepractice pretty much in the schools today. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. All right. That's where I'm coming from, too. <laughs> now, I read a quote that you wrote, and here it is. Teletherapy is a stable, long-term solution to school districts' chronic SLP shortages. Yes. And that sounds... <laughs> pretty much like a good reason to have mm-hmm. telepractice in the schools and it, maybe it's the primary one. But it, would you ex- expand on that and tell us maybe some other reasons and benefits to have telepractice in the schools? Absolutely, I'd be
1: happy to. So as as you shared, thank you. Um, I have been involved in on the teletherapy side of speech language services um, now for several years and so I, I have, I feel, what is a well-rounded perspective in terms of what it means to be an on-site, in-person speech-language pathologist working in schools and then moving over to teletherapy. And in addition to being a therapist and providing the services directly, um, the past four years, I've also had the ability or the opportunity, I should say, to work with school districts all over the country and mm. help them to implement services, manage those services. And it's been so eye-opening to, you know, leave leave my corner of the world um, here where I live in Colorado and see what's going on across the country. And it's obviously no secret in our profession that there is, there has been a chronic going on over a decade now of shortage of SLPs um, across, I mean, in all areas, but particularly in the schools. And so teletherapy was certainly born out of the need to just the basically get therapists to kids, Mm -hmm. um, a way to meet the needs of students who needed services, were either getting no services at all or were underserved. They just were not able to get enough therapy um, for, you know, so that they could actually make progress on their goals and um, improve. Mm-hmm. So that's where it started. But as as I've as I've worked with districts and we see we see the needs really not going away, teletherapy really, it's it's not just a stopgap. It's not just something that, you know, you, you put in for a few months or one school year to To fill a need, um, it really can be a part of a blended service delivery model for some school districts, where they they have on site SLPs, but they never quite have enough to really meet the therapy minutes to maintain compliance, to make sure that students are being efficiently tested and qualified, and even dismissed from services. Um, so often, I will come in. Um, you know, my colleagues and I will work with school districts and find students who really sh- probably are, are ready to be dismissed. They could be off the roll, so to speak, of special education, but because of the inconsistency, not having that steady support from a speech language pathologist. They've just graduated on year after year and continued with services uh, or sometimes just lack of services. But so there's there's so many different ways that as teletherapists, because we are coming in with experience in the schools, um, we do have that background. We can step in and help the district you know, meet them where they are and help the district support their compliance um, and their students. And also they're on-site therapists. Um, we we can relieve those caseloads. Um, you know, some states have they do have maximums, and so there is some regulatory support for SLPs in some states. Other states do not have any type of caps to caseloads. And some and some of the SLPs are really struggling under those numbers that they are working with and feeling um, often. Uh, from my conversations with with many of them, just ineffective, overworked, stressed, um, and burned out. So, there are a, there are a lot of different ways that the you know the use of the telepractice service delivery model um, can support the you know that that stable the stabilization of services and maintaining high quality of services for school districts. Excellent. Now
0: that gives us some information as to why let's move into the how. And I love it that you've been, you know, with presence learning um, for six years plus, probably, and you were in the schools prior to that. And I bet there are many listening SLPs thinking about moving into telepractice, Mm -hmm. but it is different. And there are many things to consider. And I bet you remember being in that situation. It It was probably a little daunting or maybe even a little scary. Um, And basically, I'm asking you to tell us what you wish you knew at that time, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And to provide some structure. Um, I know that you're doing a four-part blog series on teletherapy at Mm speechtherapypd.com. And you say that there are four essential areas that must be addressed to successfully implement and deliver school-based telepractice services. I love this. And if we could just kind of hit upon these areas for the rest of our time, I think that would be nice and practical. Sure. So here's the first one. I'll just list the four. Great. Systems and technology is the first one. The second one is client considerations. Number three, brick and mortar versus virtual students. And number four, clinician considerations so the first one of course is tangible systems and technology and we all know that you need a computer and so on but what can you tell us about that
1: yes so so as you said when I I first started um, and I, I touch on this I think in this in the first blog post on the systems and technology um, post is I I, I really probably ignorance was bliss at that point because, um, it was so early on, um, 2000, um, you know, 2013, they're just, I didn't know anybody who was doing teletherapy at all. Um, yeah. and I did not expect that it was going to be some, a long-term position for me. I was really Expecting that I would um, at some point continue to you know a district in person position, um, and it was really about this was something that helped me support my family and being more available and you know all of that at that at that okay. time. Um, so it came as quite a shock to me that uh, I did love teletherapy um, very quickly. So it was, I, I, I didn't have enough time, I think, to get too, to be too scared about it. Um, I, I was certainly nervous. I do remember that the first, the first day. Okay. Um, and fortunately had a lot of support, um, you know, with, with presence learning, I absolutely had people who were, you know, I, to go to and to ask questions. But the main concerns that I had, and I guess one of the, one of the things I would say to any SLP who's considering the transition and might have these same similar concerns um, I, I was concerned that I might not have the same connection with students that I wouldn't feel as though I were building that relationship in the same way and that you know I, I, I worried that it would feel like I was just popping in and popping out um, mm-hmm. doing therapy and that would be it um, and I that really just did not turn out to be true at all. Wow. Um, oh, that's I, good. I absolutely, yeah, I, I certainly, I got to know my students, um, really in the same way as if I were there in person. Um, I was, you know, of course, seeing them twice a week, every week and getting to know all of the, all of the things we learn in therapy, their siblings, their home life, their, what's their favorite, what they like, what do they want to do in therapy? What don't they like to do in therapy? Um, so it really was that, that just was and I still felt like I had that connection. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, I I question the how effective I would feel as a therapist and if I would still see progress with my students, of course, Um, it is. Nothing that I would have continued to do, um, nor do I think it is what any SLP would continue to do uh, long term if you if we didn't feel and see the data that supported progress for our students. Yes. Um, and, you know, not only is was my own data and my anecdotal um, experience, not only do they support the effectiveness of teletherapy, but there's a growing body of research, um, all over from, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles and growing on the effectiveness of teletherapy. Mm. So it's, it's something that is here, it's here to stay. So I wouldn't, if anyone is, you know, considering that worries that it's not going to feel as effective, uh, as what you're doing in person, um, I certainly would not let that concern stop anyone from, Making the transition or trying teletherapy because it absolutely um, is an effective service service delivery model. Good to know. Uh, so yeah, so um, so moving into the first topic, talking about systems and technology. So as as you mentioned, of course, there there is no telepractice without te- technology. Um, that is just the fact. So you absolutely, there's, there are, there are things that have to exist both on your side as the therapist and on the school side. Um, they are pretty minimal. I will say really, especially in the schools these days, there's so many computers in the vast majority of schools. Um, we rarely run into an instance where, A computer cannot be dedicated for therapy services in a district. So fortunately, um, I think in 21st century learning um, that schools have, you know, have received the funding to support at least a certain level of technology. Mm -hmm. So those are, that's present. Um, And of course, on your end and internet speed, that, that is a factor, um, we at, at Presence Learning, about three years ago, uh, we have our, our propri- proprietary platform that all of our therapists use for services. And about three years ago, our, our amazing engineering product team did a redesign of the platform. And one of the improvements or one of the purposes of the redesign was to ensure that our platform could run well, that video and audio could still run very well on lower bandwidth. Uh So if we did have school districts who maybe were are in a more rural area, they don't have the internet speeds might be a little bit lower, we could still conduct effective therapy without having the video freezing and audio freezing. Mm So um, it's it, it's it's fairly minimal, but there is a minimum requirement um, in terms of that internet speed and making sure you have the bandwidth for that. Okay. We always recommend a headset with a microphone for both the student and the therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, uh, when you're working with students on articulation and or apraxia, and you obviously need to be able to hear very discreet sound errors and differences in sound production and, and they need to hear your model. Mm -hmm. So that's important, um, to make sure that, that, that equipment is, is present. Again, um, it's pretty easy to find there. It really doesn't have to be a significant expense to find a pretty good headset with a microphone. Mm -hmm. So that, that supports, um, You know, all of the all of the audio. And then, of course, in our platform, we have the ability to do a lot of manipulation of the the video in terms of we can make it big screen so that if I need to see the students mouth close up, I can I can really get into that and see that or if they need to see me or if I'm working in it with a group session and I've got three three students. Um, we can have all the pictures up at the same time, or I can push the picture, the video feeds off to the side so that we can all attend to an activity. So that is, that's a capability we have in the platform. You know, platforms are different in terms of what is, is possible, but that's, that's uh, something that's nice to have. It is. Okay. So if I could ask, sure. so
0: you are in charge of what comes up on the screen. Yes. Yes. And you have all those options. So, and I have heard, I know with the platforms that there are certain activities and games and and so on that can be used with a particular child so that you have that on the screen. Do you also have your picture and the child's picture on the screen as well? And you're in charge of that? yes yes
1: so so again i will i will speak to what um i i have worked in and what i know we have um, in the presence learning platform but yes so we always have the, the two video feeds, uh, well, I should say the therapist video feed and then the video feed for however many students have logged in. Um, we, we cap our sessions typically at no more than three students. And so that's a nice, you know, for some people who end up having some really larger groups in person, it's, we just the logistics of our platform. It works best with that number. So, okay. um, so we'll have individual video feeds. Um, and then another Uh, piece that we can do is, for instance, if I'm working with a student who has an AAC device, we would send the school an external external camera with a tripod. So not only do I have the video feed of the student's face, I can also have a separate video feed of the interface of the AAC device. So I can see what that looks like and how the student's interacting with that device. Um, And that that all shows up on the screen for me. Nice. Yeah. So that's that's a great feature. But as far as activities, um, in our, in our platform, anything that can be scanned can be uploaded to the platform. So Ah. for instance, you know, when I first started, I loved using books in therapy. I used a lot of picture books with my elementary students. So I probably scanned 15 of my favorite books and, um, just uploaded them to the therapy to my library, and I could pull them up and turn the pages. And um, it's pretty, you know, pretty awesome. I can still read those books, but then the kids have all the whiteboard tools and they can come in and circle things and highlight and put stamps on. So you can really yeah. make those PDFs interactive. I love that. Um, yeah. 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 So it really is. You can, you know, you can mimic. We have game boards. You can, you know, if you did game boards with kids. Um, we also have truly interactive games that our product team has built, such as Go Fish, Memory. um, And those are all customizable, so you can use any picture stimuli that you want, um, including, for instance, if I wanted to bring in pictures from a child's environment, Mm -hmm. I could ask the paraprofessional to send me some pictures Uh, via email, I could upload those and then create flashcards or create a memory game using pictures from the child's environment. And we can practice that vocabulary. So um, it's very, very flexible. um, And it makes it really easy to interact with uh, not only just materials you have in your own library that you'd like to use, but items from the child's environment. Great. Great. Now, you mentioned a paraprofessional.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there always someone there with the child? And maybe it's a paraprofessional. Right. Is there always somebody there? And mm-hmm. I would think that person would be quite valuable, especially if there mm-hmm. are any troubleshooting technological
1: issues. I mean, I don't know. How does that work? Absolutely. So this is another really essential piece of teletherapy Okay. is a support person. So at it, it Presence Learning, we call this role a primary support person. And it's often a paraprofessional, but it might be, um, you know, it might be an SLPA. Okay. um, Who's. You know the who we, we might also be supervising in some states. You can supervise via teletherapy, um, so we might be working with them. They might be bringing students to the computer. Um, it's we at least need somebody in the room for line of sight supervision. Just you know basic safety rules of the school. Um, that's important to have and to bring the kids to the computer. Make sure they get logged on. And then there's a spectrum of support depending on the needs of the child you're working with. So. For instance, most kids, most of our kids that we're working with on articulation and language, and those those speech only kiddos, um, a lot of a lot of kids are very independent on the computer. They're able to come in, get logged on, um, interact with the therapists, and be very independent. Maybe depending on their age, the person, the p- the primary support person might need to help with some behavior or help with a reinforcement schedule or, you know, just kind of be in the room for some just kind of checking in a little bit. Um, So there's that level. And then all the way to if we're working with students who are in a life skills classroom and they are nonverbal using augmentative communication devices, cannot physically access a computer mouse, clearly... It is not appropriate nor ethical to have that, you know, just bring that student to the computer and then leave them sitting there without somebody there to facilitate. Yeah. So in that case, you really are working directly and continually with that support person. So they are sitting next to the student, they have a headset on, and the SLP is working with that support person, and they are facilitating the therapy. Um, Okay. So there's, you know, there's a lot in between. Those are two kind of extremes. And there's middle ground in there where sometimes you just need somebody who is, you know, sits there for the first five minutes of therapy, um, you know, as a child's getting settled in and then it, they, you know, they're okay to go help another student or something like that. So, um, but yes, it's a, that's a very important piece is having, is having a support person. Yeah. Wow. Okay.
0: You know, I can kind of see where these four areas may start to overlap. Mm -hmm. We've kind of moved into the client considerations a bit. Excellent information, by the way. Can we move into number two, the client considerations? Um, Maybe criteria. Do you select? Mm -hmm. Is there criteria for including a child in telepractice therapy or how is that handled?
1: So ASHA has has long been in support of teletherapy as an appropriate service delivery model. So um, since 2005, they've had a statement in support. So okay. so really a leader um, in, in teletherapy among across disciplines. So they have, fortunately for those of us who are teletherapists and for anyone who is interested in teletherapy, there are tremendous resources on the ASHA website. So I always direct anyone there first um, to take a look in their practice portal for telepractice. So one of, the, one of the things that ASHA did is they did outline four student-related factors to consider when determining a student's appropriateness for teletherapy. And so the four areas to consider are physical and sensory characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, the second is cognitive, behavioral, and or motivational characteristics, the third is communication characteristics, and then fourth is the client support resources, which gets into the technology and the support personnel. Okay. So interestingly, there have been some states, and there actually there's there still are, there does still exist, some states where there's regulations that um, an on-site SLP has to make the determination regarding a student's appropriateness for teletherapy. Um, In fact, there used to be a regulation in Texas. Fortunately, it was changed about a year ago. But the regulation required that before a child could start with teletherapy, an informal assessment of appropriateness had to be done by an in-person SLP first, oh. um, which you can imagine was challenging for those districts who did not have any SLPs on the ground. Yeah, so pretty much um, it was kind of this catch, it was, yeah, it was. It was kind of a catch-22 that we had to work with for a while. Um, and what's interesting is is really though, even though, of course, you, you, you're considering all of these factors, really, I believe, just as you are always considering... A, these factors with a child, even if you're there in person, there's always challenges. There's always things that you need to consider in terms of a child's environment and, you know, the service delivery model. Are you doing push-in? Are you pulling them out? Are, you know, is it a group? Is it individual? So I think as SLPs, we're, we're continually making those assessments and determinations. But for teletherapy, it really, I believe, is best the teletherapist who's making these determinations, Um, often in conjunction with an on-site SLP, if there is an on-site SLP in a district. But so much of it is having the kids come and doing some informal assessment of how they respond to that teletherapy model. Um, How are they doing? How can we accommodate any physical or sensory issues that we might need to? So for instance, um, if we're working with a child who has some visual impairments you know we in our platform for instance have visual overlays that we can add to over the computer screen so that that sometimes is an accommodation that better supports the child who has a visual impairment who might be doing teletherapy Um, so you know if we if there's a student who's has a hearing impairment um, we might need to have an audio boot to connect a hearing aid, for instance, to the computer so that they can have the best audio input during a teletherapy session. So, you know, these are all factors that we consider. Um, there absolutely is not, you know, I, there's not a, an entire, for instance, disability group or goal area where we would say, you know, before ever meeting the child, no, we know this will not work. We will, we cannot do teletherapy with this student. Um, it's obviously we're, 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 talking about individualized services and that's always how we approach every session and every, every new client student referral. And so these are all factors to keep in mind, um, but they aren't necessarily, you know, there aren't factors that would just completely exclude Um, A child from teletherapy. It may just be a matter of creating accommodations so that they can be successful.
0: All right. Well, that makes sense. And I'm glad to hear that. I can just kind of imagine, though, that there's going to be some children whose behavior is just off the wall. Mm -hmm. But that probably Mm -hmm. (laughs) is kept in check, let's just say, by your support person, perhaps. I would think that behavior and attentiveness or and
1: attentiveness would be a factor. It, it absolutely can be, um, and I would say just as it can be when you're there in person. There again, this is that the spectrum of. In some cases, we do need to have greater involvement of that primary support person um, who's there in person in the building in in the room with the with the child. So again, it's, I always, I caution schools. I will have, sometimes we will have conversations with um, our special education directors or principals, you know, as we're implementing services. And, you know, they might mention a couple of students and say, oh, we're not even going to try it. You know, they will, they'll never sit there that long. They will, they'll be under the table. They're always moving around. And I always encourage them to let us try. Um, Let's see how they respond. Um, I have had some students who because of their the interest that they're in technology, their behaviors actually improve during teletherapy Mm -hmm. sessions versus how they did with the in-person SLP. (laughs) So great, good to know. Yeah. You know, the kids we're working with these days, they're digital natives. They, this is not a strange world for them. Um, It's usually more the adults (laughs) that we have to kind of bring along sometimes. Um, But the kids, they, it's, it's not a, it's, it's just nothing for them to interact with somebody on a screen. Um, Mm -hmm. They do it all the time. And so there are many students who are just motivated by that. They're motivated by the technology. They love the activities So not that that's true of everyone. We certainly absolutely still have students where regardless of the activity or uh, reward you try to give them on the screen, they still need to have... Um, you know, for instance, maybe they need to have a goldfish cracker every five minutes. Um, that's their reward for staying on task or, um, you know, the, those types of things. Or maybe they need to stand up and do jumping jacks and they need a, a brain break. They need a physical break um, every few minutes. So that's really how the SLP can work with that primary support person to come up with that plan and say, okay, you know, I know that we're going to work for this long. This will be the reward they need to, you know, if you can get up with them and, you know, walk around the room or, um, you know, give them their sticker. So that's, again, just that piece of understanding, getting to know your student, talking with the parents and teachers and everybody who knows them best and come up with a, a plan that can support their access to services via teletherapy. Sounds good. Now, what about age? Preschoolers? So there is, teletherapy has been shown to be actually a successful model in early intervention um, into preschool. So, yes, we, yeah, we, like I said, at, at Presence Learning, we have, we do services as early as early intervention all the way through transition age. So everything covered under Part C, Part B services. And what's interesting, um, and I believe is really a bit of an unintended consequence of the teletherapy model, is that working, doing, for instance, early intervention, um, oftentimes that might be done in home, the SLP traveling, going to the home, right? and with teletherapy, the Parent. by necessity, the parent has to be fully involved and engaged the entire session. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I know sometimes, understandably, um, sometimes when the SLP shows up for therapy, parent might, you know, put some dishes away or go put a little laundry up yeah. for a little bit, you know, because they need a break. Um, and so then the SLP is doing kind of the wrap up at the end and like, okay, work on this and showing them a few things. Um, so there's been, there's been a, a few studies out there that have shown when services are done via teletherapy in the home, because, because of that level of parent involvement in the therapy session it can impact carryover and really the, how much the generalization of skills because they're learning so much, being a part of those sessions in that way. So, so yes, there's the start with the very, very young in some cases, but absolutely preschool. Um, We provide a lot of preschool services and um, that's, we certainly, again, work with our primary support people in those roles and we When I talk with our our therapists or I talk with the schools, I also, you know, I I remind them that just because we are teletherapists and you know, I'm sitting in Colorado behind my computer and I I have a lot of online activities and they're engaging and age appropriate and all sorts of things, it also is really important to still include the child's environment, especially at that young age. So we want to make sure that you know, for instance, we might keep a box of, of items next to the computer that are, you know, for when speech is in session, the child has has those to interact with. So if the child has a preferred toy or, you know, if there's something that's a theme of the week in the preschool, I can talk with the teacher about that and the child can have a toy or a book that they can hold and interact with. And I can have something that complements that up on the screen and So that's really where we can, we work with a paraprofessional, our primary support person to help us bring that environment for the preschooler. Um, We, it also sometimes, you know, kids, when I, I used to do a lot of services in the preschool and I spent a lot of time on the floor um, and playing with the kids. And so that sometimes is how, you know, we have a laptop that can move around the room. And so sometimes that primary support person will be down on the floor with a student and the computer will be set up and, the SLP is engaging with the child who's, you know, running the cars around the carpet. So Mm -hmm. there, you know, it's really important to um, be flexible, um, to make sure that you are addressing the child's developmental level, um, you know, interest, how they can be engaged in therapy. um, So that it's, you know, as we know, it's never one size fits all. And there are ways to be adaptable via teletherapy as well.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about the preschool and then you bring in the home environment. Did you say that parents are there with the child in front of the
1: screen during the therapy? Certainly. If you're in the home, of course, it's usually a parent or caregiver who is there. And it and at that age, it's absolutely we're not putting a um you know, 18-month-olds, sitting them down in front of the computer with a headset, most likely. So it's much more the model of coaching, um, observing the child, again, bringing in all of those items in the environment that are age and developmentally appropriate, and, you know, teaching, coaching the parent on how to support the communication, which which really is the, you know, that's the, the... best practice early intervention model when you're talking about the language development is, you know, likely not doing drills and, you know, those types of things. It's it's very naturalistic and um, based on the child's environment and, and and the coaching model, working with parents often. So it, it really is that model and early intervention that can be so successful with teletherapy.
0: That makes so much sense because I do know that parents will leave the child with a therapist and go off and do something else. But having that parent there is so very important, especially for early intervention and preschool kids, especially. So I really like that. I like that. Okay. um, Can we move into number three, the brick and mortar versus virtual students? And honestly, I'm not quite sure what this is about because I am really anxious to move into number four, clinicians considerations. But let's hit the number three, brick and mortar versus virtual
1: students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We can just talk on this a little bit. So it, it, it's really just some logistical pieces um, that can exist between what it looks like when to implement services in a traditional brick and mortar site versus virtual schools. So naturally, it makes sense that students who are enrolled in a virtual academy, a virtual school, attending either from home, sometimes they will act, there might actually be a physical building they come to for some of their instruction, um, teletherapy is a pretty natural fit for that. Um, so certainly, we do a lot of work with with virtual schools. In that in that model, again, you are working more directly with families with parents. Um, you're you know, are you're, you're not scheduling in the schools. It's it really looks very, very much like if you were walking in the building in person. Um, you are building a therapy schedule, you're talking to teachers, you have to think about specials and <laughs> all of those things that you need to work around. Um, you know, has scheduling IEP meetings and case managing. Uh virtual schools, it's a little different. You're providing therapy typically in the home um, and the families. The parent is logging the child in. And so the technology is dependent on, you know, what does their internet look like? And and that can be challenging because sometimes kids, families who attend virtual like schools are geographically far, pretty far out there. They might be just, you know, um, not really close to a town. So sometimes technology can be a bit of a challenge, but, um, Interestingly, attendance is more of a challenge with these sessions. Um, I think the nature of the fact that, you know, when kids are in brick and mortar schools, they're already in school. They have a schedule. They have somebody who's making sure, you know, unless they're just absent completely that day, they're probably coming to speech because they, it's part of their routine. It's part of their schedule. Um, You know, families who are doing part of virtual academies, homeschooling, whatever that looks like, may not necessarily be as structured. Yes. Um, and there can sometimes be a little bit more, I guess, looseness in in um, what a child's schedule might be. So we do experience more difficulty with um, attendance. Um, but that's something where we work closely with the, the school itself, um, the virtual academy, the virtual school, and they have policies. And so, you know, you're, you're working, you're still working with the school, the, you know, the, whoever the governing entity is of the virtual school um, to try to mitigate. But that, that can be a reality. Um, and sometimes you need to establish some best practices with the families. Um, just things like, you know, probably not, the best, best for the child to come to, to speech therapy in pajamas. Um, you know, we probably want them to be like, they're going to school and they're, they're ready to work. Um, so, you know, just some interesting things that you don't run into as much if you're doing a brick and mortar. Um, but the brick and mortar, it's pretty traditional. It's really figuring out, okay, where, where's the location? What, what, where's the best place to have this set up? Um, ideally a separate room, if not, you know, maybe the back of a resource room with like some kind of a, like a wall or a little bit of a divider. Um, And again, identifying who's going to be the support person, who's going to bring those kids to services, to speech, uh, what are their responsibilities? And then just the logistics of, you know, what is this going to look like? Is there an on-site SLP I'm working with? Do we share the caseload? Do I have the entire caseload? Um, am I case managing for speech-only students? Or do they or do they have another on-site SLP doing all the case management? So just, it's really just the the nuts and bolts, the logistics of how, what what my job is going to look like specifically in the school district. And then, you know, getting that figured, figured out. But uh, it's... It really is remarkably similar um, to, you know, you still have all the all the paperwork responsibilities. You're still completing IEPs, and you're doing progress reports and evaluations. Um, but there's no bus duty, and you're not commuting between four buildings. <laughs> so. Yes,
0: you're not in your car. Yeah, you're in your office. Yeah. Well, that sounds rather like we've moved into number four clinician considerations. And, you know, my first question right off the bat is when you begin your telepractice stint here, Mm -hmm. are you given a caseload just as if you would, you know, if you walked into a school, that's number one. And then number two, I'm wondering about evaluations. So how do you get your kids,
1: I guess, is what I'm saying. Okay. So assuming that you have, of course, all the appropriate licensure, um, we won't spend too much time on that, but certainly the reason telepractice works is because we can cross-license therapists. So um, I can be in Colorado, and I'm, I'm also licensed in Oregon and California, and so I'm able to provide services. So, ah. so that's, that's the other basis. Other than the equipment, that is the other piece that makes teletherapy possible, is the ability to cross-licensure. So Beyond that, um, in terms of, and again, I will, I will, sp- I'll speak to how presence learning functions in terms of caseload. Um, so, when providers contract with us, and we uh, at this time work exclusively with independent contractors as um, clinicians, and so they let us know how many hours they would like to work each week. How, how many hours do they want to devote to therapy? Mm -hmm. And then based on that information and also, you know, where they're licensed, where we're able to give them work, um, we assign a caseload. So they, once they, they have an assignment to a school and they're given a caseload and they, they really work directly with the school um, much as you would, if you were there in person okay. now, sometimes what, what we're able to do that's a little bit different is for instance, if I'm at an elementary school and there's a hundred students who need therapy just in this one building, it, you know, we, none of our therapists who are full-time have a hundred students on their caseload. Um, God. so wow. we might assign two or three SLPs to that building And they would divide the caseload. And so in that case, we would have a clinical manager who would help facilitate scheduling, um, kind of being a point person to support that process. So because I can get a little confusing when you have multiple people. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, yeah, so that's essentially how they get the initial caseload. And we have therapists who at one time might be working in three or four or five different states, Hmm. um, and can be in multiple districts. So it really depends on what the, what they want to do, um, how many hours and, and then what, you know, what work we have. So it's make it's really making that match, um, and creating and building a caseload. So even though as a teletherapist, you're not, you know, commuting, driving between, schools and, um, I used to have, I used to work in some mountain schools. And so I had, I had a commute a couple times a week up to some mountain schools and, um, that doesn't exist, but you might be working in three different States and therefore need to understand the regulations, special education requirements, eligibility requirements, um, for each state and for each district. So there's, which can be a challenge. Um, but it's, that's, that's part of That's part of teletherapy is learning to juggle and manage those different pieces. Very informative.
0: Now, on your platform, I guess that you call it your platform, is it equipped to do the actual speech evaluations, the language Mm -hmm. evaluations, et cetera? How does that
1: work? Yes. So we really are able to step in and take on the full scope of work for, of an uh, onsite SLP. Mm -hmm. So including completing full evaluations, um, IEP meetings, completing all of that. Yes. So we partner with different publishers to have the online versions of dozens of evaluations. So the picture stimuli, if it is a test that involves picture stimuli are exactly the same Mm -hmm. as they would be if you were there with your flip book in person um, but they just pop up on this child on this computer screen and so for for us um, it's that is you know a much a much better version than if you were to if you had the picture stimuli there physically with you and you were to hold up the picture to the camera for the child Um, it this really brings it's a, a higher level of doing the online evaluations to have the, the, the picture stimuli to have the online version built into our platform. So, yeah, so they, we have the picture stimuli um, in our platform when the child, if it's something where they need to indicate something, for instance, following directions, subtest of the self, the mouse for us turns into kind of a big foam finger mm-hmm. pointer finger. And so it's easy. <laughs> so it's easy to see, what the child is indicating um, so you can tell what they're what they're pointing to what they're indicating um, and then of course you know we it's it's always just as important um, to have the headset the microphone you know quiet environment so that you are really capturing everything you need if you are completing an articulation evaluation Um, voice determining any of those pieces, fluency. So uh, yes, all the evaluations are completed through our platform. So let's say that you're
0: doing, you know, like a PPVT, okay? It's just you say the Mm -hmm. stimulus and then the child has the mouse and then clicks on the picture, or does the child verbally say, no, it's the house?
1: Well, so it what would show up to us is I would see again that that foam pointer finger pointing to the picture, or if it's a test where you know some some of those tests where you, you're when you're doing it in person, the older kids stop pointing and they just start telling start telling you the letter of the picture, right? Yes, which is fine. That's acceptable. Right. So they. Some students will do that if they're older and they know their letters and you can you can trust that they they know how to indicate that um otherwise um it really is i i can see the child's mouse i see what they're pointing to and that's that's how they indicate okay so are their answers being tallied
0: somewhere in that system or are you do you have your pencil in hand and you're marking it on your paper or you have a separate something on the screen
1: How is what they're doing tallied? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. So we still use paper protocols. Um, So it depends, depending on the publisher, we either provide the paper protocol for the clinician, so they would have that protocol and mark it off just as they would if they were doing the child was sitting across the desk from them um, We also have some other publishers are we work with them we have digital protocols and so a couple of different ways those can be used our clinicians can either print them and use them just as they would a standard paper protocol or if they have something if they have an iPad for instance have a tablet, They can download the protocol digitally and then mark on the iPad and create a digital form and then save it that way. So either way, the the provide the therapist is still marking their responses just as you would if you were there in person. So um, yeah, for you know, in our therapy room, we have our therapists have the capability of adding metrics and then tracking data in real time. So for therapy, that's built into our platform to be able to track data. Um, but for the evaluations, it is, it's, it's still, still old school, just mark marking up your protocol and um, scoring it that way. Okay.
0: That's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Move me into
1: the data piece. How does that work? So for, for us in the presence learning platform, um, our providers can, when they, you know, upon getting a caseload, they are given access typically to the school district's IEP system, just as you would if you were working there in person. So they have ac- always have access, of course, to the student's IEP and goals. And so in our student platform, our therapists have the ability to add the goals to the, therap- the child's profile And then they can create any metrics they want to measure, to make, you know, measure progress toward those goals. And so those metrics then, for instance, if I was having, if I had a therapy session scheduled with um, Bobby on Tuesday, as soon as, if that's on my platform, when he shows up for therapy, I'm able to open up his metrics and choose whatever it is I want to, I plan to work on that day pull those metrics into the therapy room and then they pop up with a little, you know, check plus an X and I can track data um, as we're going through those different metrics. And then that creates the percentage for me and that actually feeds directly into a soap note. And so then I can fill out the rest of the soap note, but I have the data that I tracked during that therapy session. Well, you've got it, you've got it organized, that's for sure.
0: You know, our time is running thin, but there is something else that I would like to talk with you about, because when you're in the schools, it's not unusual to go down and talk with the resource teacher, talk with the classroom teacher, interact with the school psych, even talk with the parent. I'm assuming that as a teletherapist that you get the emails or, you know, that you're involved. I mean, you're going to have to be involved with these other professionals. Does that happen? And how does that work? Oh, of
1: course. Uh, it's still just as important, if not more, of course, to collaborate with teachers and parents as a teletherapist. Mm-hmm. So we, we always encourage our therapists to send introductory letters uh, via email uh, to teachers, to parents, so that they know, know, know who's working with their kiddos. Um, and along with that email, that introduction, Letting them know the best way to get a hold of that therapist. So, you know, giving them is their email, phone number. Um, One, some of our therapists. This is something that I I used to do is for each of the schools that I worked in, I used to establish a virtual office hour, and so I would Ah. block off an hour a week and. Um, just be in my therapy room and I would share the login for the therapy room and teachers or parents could log in anytime and we could chat about students so that's you know kind of a nice way to just open the door a little bit and make it easier for you know especially for parents and teachers and principals who are pretty they' they're not sure about teletherapy they're not really sure how this is going to work sure um, and so yeah. I always you know I tell new therapists that truly the therapy part is not the biggest challenge of teletherapy. It's remarkably similar to being there in person. Um, So you will use all your skills and experience from doing what you've done all these years in person and bring it to teletherapy. Um, The biggest challenge is the communication. And it really is with, with the staff, with parents and that can take a little more work. And, but we, we have just over and over such tremendous success stories from our therapists who have who have made the effort to, to reach out and to offer demos and say, you know, let parents come observe a session or let a teacher come observe a session and see what it looks like. And um, that often goes a long way to helping them kind of get over that hump of just not knowing what this is and having that concern about it because um, they really see how engaged the kids are. And that it's you know it's a it's a speech therapy session. It looks like it's yeah. it's it's nothing it's nothing strange. It's nothing. It's it is um, the kids make progress. They're engaged and working on their goals just as they you know just as they did with their on site SLP. So
0: okay, it, there's
1: a lot of ways to improve the communication and really build those uh, relationships. Yes,
0: that is really important. Well, uh, wow, this has been enlightening. I really appreciate your practical information and just, you know, you have just moved right along and gave us so much to think about. And I'm sure that somebody out there is going to jump on this and and, uh, want to experiment and and think about it and move in to become a, a teletherapist. It's been very inspirational. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Well, good. Well, thank you. Yeah. And is there a way that we can get in touch with you if somebody has
1: questions? Of course, yeah. So my, um, anyone is welcome to email me directly. Uh, it's just kristen.martinez at presencelearning.com. And so I would love to hear from anyone who does have questions or interest. And of course, uh, our website, presencelearning.com, there's tons of videos and information. And it's, there's also options to reach out and connect with um, somebody via our website as well. Okay, sounds good. Well,
0: thanks again, Kristen. Take care. Thank you, Char. Thank you. You too. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charboshart.com and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well and God bless.